Lord, I thank you for this time, God. We just honor you. Father, I pray, Lord God, that you would consume us with all of who you are. Father, I pray that you would remove any agenda, Lord God, that is outside of who you are, of what you want to do in this moment. So, Lord, we, we come before you, Lord God, in this significant time, Lord God, as we process the year, as we end the season and transition into the next, Lord. And I pray that you would breathe your life, breathe your presence, bring all of who you are, Lord God. May you be undisturbed and unfiltered in this place today. And God, I pray that every person who is here, Lord God, that would encounter you powerfully, Lord God, whether I've been walking with you for a long time or whether you're a stranger to these people. God, I pray that every person would find themselves at home in your presence, known, welcome, accepted here in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Great. So it's the end of the year, like Mel said. It's the last Sunday service of the year. Actually, before I do that, I saw friends of mine this morning who drove here from Heidelberg. I try to convince them with everything that it's too far, but here they are. So Zoe and your friends, can you just wave over there? Yeah. yeah. I know, but the reason why I wanted to highlight them is one of the dreams and one of the visions that I have for this church is that people would come here from everywhere, not because they're from this area, because of what God is doing here. Amen. And that, that we wouldn't stand in people's way for them doing and sacrificing for what God has called them to. So just honoring them, but also honoring what God is doing in this house. So talking about the end, and the subtitle is beginning with the end in mind. So obviously it's the end of the year and people are looking at the next year and trying to process, dream for what it is that you're looking at. Maybe next year, what you want the end of next year to look like, because that's how we dream, right? That's how we set goals. You think about what the end, you want the end to look like and you start with that in mind. But what I'm talking about is the big end. Not like the end of 2021, the end of 2022, but the end like the end of our lives here on earth, and what that actually looks like. Because sometimes when we are caught up in the goal-to-goal, year-to-year, season-to-season, it's easy for that to become the perspective. It's easy for that to become the goal. And that's not a bad thing. Setting goals is a good thing. But that there would be a bigger goal that we're reminded of, that a bigger perspective that we're reminded of, that, yeah, these things are fine, these seasons are passing, but there's something so much bigger that awaits. So chronologically speaking, it's the end of a season, right? Um, but I want us to look at Jesus at the end. So we're going to go to John chapter 17. <coughs> I use a hard Bible. I know it doesn't make me look cool. And I know it's big, but can I just explain myself? It's got blank pages in between so I can write notes. So it's not big because of sophistication. It's for notes. Okay, great. I'm glad we're on the same page. Great. So, so I'm going to read from John chapter 17. So this is Jesus praying at the end of his season here on earth. And he's praying for what will remain after he's gone. He's praying the legacy, he's praying his expectation, he's praying what it is that he's achieved, talking to the Lord. John 17 from verse one, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come, glorify your son, that the son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him, And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. When I I said yes to the call of God to be a a full-time minister, this is the scripture they gave us. They said, at the end of your life, you need to be able to stand before God and say, God, I've done what you asked me to do. That's it, right? I've done what you asked me to do. 
John 17, verse 4, Jesus says, I have glorified you by doing the work that you've asked me to do. This is what Jesus is saying boldly to God because that's what his whole life was. I've done what you've asked me to do. And then he starts praying for those that he's mandated to do the same thing. Just to give context, John 16, God, Jesus is sitting with his disciples and he's telling them of what is to come. He's telling them, you have honored God, you have done, you've done well, you have everything you need for the next season. I have to go, but it's good that I go because you'll be left behind with the Holy Spirit who's going to be your helper, your keeper. You're going to be fine. And then he even says to them, and you're going to forget that I said this to you and you're going to behave badly but it's still going to be fine because the word that I've spoken in you is going to sustain you and remind you to come back to that which I've called you to. And then he says to them, and you're going to go through difficult things. And this is what, and he tells them exactly what's going to happen. And then he says, and you're going to want to leave the earth. So then he prays, God, don't let them leave. He prays, don't let them leave. Don't, don't let them leave. Don't, don't give them what it is that they'll temporarily want in that moment. Because there's something greater that awaits them. And so this is Jesus. This is the expectation. This is the end. This is where Jesus finds himself. But more than that, what I want us to pay attention to is the way that Jesus is talking to God. My first highlight there is he says, okay, Father. No, sorry. Go back. Where he says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son. Doesn't that sound a little bit arrogant? It's like, God, glorify me. I love it. (laughs) I really do. Because Jesus knows who he is in God. And he's not saying, you know, he's addressing God like, Father, glorify your son. Like he knows who he is in God, but he also knows what he is due in God. And then he also knows that he's done what God has asked him to do. So he's not saying, hey God, if, you, if it would please you, if you are pleased with me, if you think by your will that I've achieved what you've asked me to do, then consider blessing me. No. He's like, Father, glorify your son for I have done what you have asked me to do. Therefore, give me glory so I can give you glory. Amen. That's what I want for you. That's what I want for you. So summarized, this is what I'm trying to achieve. This is what I'm trying to communicate to you. So I'm also beginning with my end in mind. This is my end. Right, so this is everything that I'm communicating in bullet form. So intimacy, right? So have the same relationship that God had with Jesus. We have this access that not only can we talk to God like that, because it's not about the language, right? Language communicates a level of relationship. So the reason why when I talk to Carol, I don't say Pastor Carol, is not because I'm dishonoring her, but because we have that kind of relationship. So the language communicates the relationship that you have. So the reason why Jesus is talking to God like that is because that's the kind of relationship that they have. But it doesn't stop there. Jesus says that I'm inviting you into this relationship. So this is the kind of relationship that we have access to in God. Identity, have the same position that Jesus did. Jesus said, glorify your son. That was his position in God. And then Jesus says that that is what he's invited us into, to have that same position in God, the position of sonship. So if we are sons and daughters to a king, how then do our lives look? Do they, do they echo that reality? Are we living like God is our father and we really are sons of God? Authority. He says, I have given you glory on earth. And Jesus did so many things. He, was, he commanded my favorite thing, miracles that Jesus um, performed, were those when he was talking to nature. 
I think it's one thing, you know, to tell sickness to leave and, you know, pick nature. You know, the storm. Oh. The, the, you know, nature responding to God. Nature responding to the sound of the voice of God. That is the kind of authority that Jesus had. And he says that all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. And now I give it to you. And then sent, right? Trusted to act on God's behalf as Jesus did. In the language, when you read the book of John, what you see Jesus saying often is, you said this to me and I did this. I did, I acted in according to your will. I translated who you are to people. I, I was you to these people. And that's what it means to be sent by God. It's to be who he is to people. A lot of the times when we think God is sending you, you know, I don't know what your perception of being sent is, but when we think of God sending us, I don't know what comes into our minds, but that's actually what God had in mind. I'll explain my context of sending. Um, that is my father up there. So, yeah. So in the African context, right, to be sent is to be a child. To be a child is to be sent. Yes. To be sent is to be a child. Yeah. To be a child is to be sent. Yeah. So what that means is, my dad, the water bottle can be sitting here, and he's here next, right in arm's reach. He'll phone me or call me, scream, wherever I am, I must come, and I must give him this water bottle. And that's just your whole childhood experience. To be a daughter or a son is to be sent. It's just what it is. And they even have an expression, it means, it means that as a child in the African context, you are sent. That's what your, exist, your existence is to be sent. And I am 31 years old. And my dad still sends me. <laughs> I don't even live with him anymore. Right now, he's in Singapore. And what he does is he phones me, and he'll scream and shout. We're not even in the same time zone. So he'll tell me, no, his credit card is not working. I need to get up from whatever I'm doing, take his bank statements from the safe, go to the bank, because I'm a signatory on his estate, and tell them to fix his card. He doesn't ask me what I'm doing. He doesn't ask me whether I'm busy. He doesn't ask me whether I'm available. He needs me yes. to go. Yes. He's sending me. Yes. Now, here's the thing. How many people can take my dad's credit card and his bank statements from the safe and go to the bank and fix that problem for him? Yeah. Yeah. Only me. Yeah. How many people would he trust to say, go get my bank statements out of my safe, because I already know the pin. Go to my house, because I have the key. I have to leave where I am. I'm not in his house. I don't live with him. So I have to leave where I am with his keys, go to the house, do all of the things that he needs, and then he's going to hang up and wait for me to call and tell him it's done. Not to tell him the bank said no, not to tell him it's closed, no, to tell him his card is fixed. That's what he wants to hear from me. God had the biggest mission on earth. God was redeeming the earth. God was saving his people whom he loves. He's restoring the kingdom. He's restoring the earth. He had a... I had the word... You know, I knew I was going to forget it, so I'm like, I must remember this word. Battalion of angels. There's the word. He had <laughs> I, I had the word. He had a battalion of angels at his disposal. And these angels hearken to his word. They're not going to do anything that God is not asking them to do. And yet, he sent his son. He did not, he was not, he was not without an army. He was not without hands. He was not without help. He was not without resources. And yet, he sent his son. 
So when we think of being sent, maybe you think God doesn't have hands. Please, he does. Maybe we think that God needs our help. Please, he doesn't. But God loves us and he trusts us. And from that perspective, only we can do the things that he's asking us to do. It's from a place of love. It's from a place of trust. It's from a place of being sons and daughters. Sons and daughters are saints, not slaves. You know, slaves, they're going to do the bare minimum. They're just ex they're executing a task. God doesn't want that. He wants sons and daughters who will translate his heart. Because only sons can understand the heart of a father. A slave is just executing a task. God wants sons and daughters because sons and daughters will do it not the way they want to, but because they're, they're carrying the heart of their father. And so all of this is for us at the end to be those whom God can send into every environment, into every place. There are some places that you can't send slaves to. You need to send somebody who knows your heart to go translate it there. That's who we are. So that's great, right? But obviously in between the great promise of the end and we are sons and daughters and we execute God's tasks. There's this place in the middle that's very messy that everybody went through, including Jesus. And we just don't like to talk about that. We like to talk about the end. And one day we'll stand before God and it's going to be great. And we're sons and daughters and that means we have the authority to command angels concerning those things. They're all true. But this is also true, that in the middle of the, the, the promise and the reality of who God has called us to be and our everyday, that there sometimes disconnects, right? Yeah. Because the kingdom is, is right now, it's already here, but in other ways it's still coming. Yeah. And we live in that tension. Yeah. And so in that tension, sometimes, yes, I have full authority. Yes, I have the power of God. Yes, I'm a son and a daughter. And in other ways, my character is still developing. And in other ways, there's just some situations where although I walk in the valley of the shadow of death, I'm not being consumed, but I'm in the valley and it's really hard. Yeah. And that does not make you not a son of God. That does not make you, that does not make God a liar. Yes, he's still promised, but you're still in the mess in the middle. Yeah. Jesus, who had all the authority, all the intimacy, all the relationship, all the truth, he knew the whole story. Still at that moment, just before he had to go to the cross, he stood with God and he was like, Look, do I have to really go? Now, if Jesus is asking, do I really have to go? Who's going to answer that question? Because this was their plan. Yes. <laughs> he, the whole reason for which he left was to go and die. Yes. Now, if he's asking, do I have to go? I mean, what must happen? <laughs> what I like about that moment that Jesus had with God is who was in that moment, if you think about it. It was just God and Jesus. So for us to know about that moment, what needs to have happened? It means Jesus actually had to tell his disciples that I had a difficult moment with God. I wrestled to the point of I was, I was almost bleeding. I was, this is what I went through. He had, to, he had to be intimate. He had to be vulnerable with his disciples to tell them, this is, what I, this is what I went through with God. I doubted God. I doubted the plan. Although I, had, I was not in any position to doubt God, me, Jesus, but I doubted God. He was vulnerable. That's what needed to have happened. 
But why did he do that? For us when we go through those moments. Because if he had not done that, we'd have this perfect picture of Jesus that is like, he does all things, he doesn't doubt, he's always on the plan, everything in his life went okay, therefore we can't do it. But if we know that Jesus wrestled in the same way that we wrestled, Jesus doubts in the same way that we sometimes doubt, Jesus had a weak moment in the same way that we had weak moments, but it didn't deter him from his mission. Nor did it change his identity in God. He was still God's son. He just had a moment. Do we see our moments like that? Like I'm still God's son, I just had a moment. Or... That moment removes you from who you are in God. Like that one moment for you means that I'm no longer a son. I'm no longer, I no longer have access to intimacy because I had a moment. I no longer, God doesn't see me the way that he saw me yesterday because I had a moment. Is that what our moments mean? Because then we don't understand who we are. Abraham's moment for me was the best. Abraham obviously had a long moment. Yo, at least Jesus was like at the mountain for a short moment. Abraham had a hard, 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 long moment. You know what I mean? But this is what I love about Abraham and what his actions communicated about his relationship with God. God says to Abraham, leave your country and everything behind you and go to a land that I will show you. Now, for me, the only way that I can rationalize that is think about my dad again. Because he's the only one who gives irrational instructions and still expects me to obey them. And he does. He'll be like, must I leave the house and meet me in Santa? And hangs up. And then the phone is off. <laughs> and guess what I do? Because I can't phone him now. I don't know what's happening. In my mind, he obviously is dying. So, <laughs> so I leave the house and I go to Santa. And we're in Santa. I just, somewhere in Santa. And I wait until he phones again. And when he's ready for me, maybe in an hour or two or three, he'll phone. Good, I'm at the embassy. Come, one day you'll meet my dad. He's very chaotic. But anyway, <laughs> the point is, the way that I'm able to respond to that is because he's my father and I trust, yeah. right? I don't need to have the whole story. I just need to know that he needs something from me and I go. This is what Abraham did. He has not, it's not you can't even say it's half a story. He has a partial instruction from God, says leave. <laughs> leave what? Leave where? Which direction do we head to? Leave. And he does all that he sets up his whole life and he leaves to where with who what like just leaves the only way we can obey god's instructions even when they don't make sense is if we've got that kind of relationship and this is what we need to be working and pursuing in god because it's available intimacy so that god can just speak it doesn't have to make sense but because we know who he is we can trust his character. We know that it, it can't be bad because it's God. It's good. It's good for me. It will be good for me. Maybe not immediately, but it is ultimately good. So get a, take up your bags and let's go to where God is calling us to. But what would it take to build that kind of relationship with God? Because certainly that doesn't happen overnight. The kind of trust and intimacy that we have access to requires us to show up in our relationship with God. Let's go to John chapter 15. It's not there, but I'll read it from, from my Bible. John 15 from 7 to 11. I'll give you 30 seconds to find it. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. 
As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. And so God is saying, abide in me and my love and my word. And that really is how we build this relationship that's got power, that's got authority, that's got intimacy, where God can send us. Abide. There's no quick fix. There's no shortcut. Have you ever started a relationship with someone, whether it's a friend, whether it's a potential somebody? There is no shortcut in that space. You need to build it. So you don't build intimacy overnight. You don't build trust overnight. You don't build faithfulness overnight. You need to abide in the love, in the word, and then all of these things come. And so in the middle of these seasons, what carries us is all of that. Because sometimes the instruction came and it was partial and then it's quiet for a while. But in that space, what keeps us is knowing who God is. And is knowing he's faithful, he's promised, is that our hope might be deferred, but his longing fulfilled is the tree of life. And that the hope deferred is just a season. Now something I used to battle with with the end of the year is that I used to think that the end of the year is literally the end of the season. Right, which is great news if you're going through a tough season, right? <laughs> I, I just, I really believed it. I thought that God is measuring like we measure. Chronologically, if it's the end of the year, then it's the end of the season. Now, I am a, I've got a personality of war, right? I'm like a, let's go! <laughs> That's me. So I was going through a tough season and it was like year two. And I was like, whew, this is long, but okay, fine. <laughs> Okay, fine. And then the third year, I'm like, definitely this year it's going to have to end, right? And then it just didn't. And then in the fourth year, I started to crack. I'm like, God, is it me? Is it my sin? Is it my family? You know what I mean? Now you're going, must I cast out? Do I need to? <laughs> what do I need to do now? Because now it's, not, it's not doing what it's supposed to do. And it's like year three. And then I just felt like, you know what? The word says that God won't give you what you can't handle. And he can see that I can't handle this. So definitely this is the end. <laughs> Guess what happened? It went on to the fourth year. I was like, I'm no longer a son and daughter, obviously. I probably did something. Now you're trying to like reconcile what? Because it's no longer making sense. You're four. And everyone is like, yeah, but wait on God. It's going to be fine. And it was not fine. It was not. <laughs> it was the fourth year and it was not fine. And then like, I mean, it went on to the fifth year. Eventually, I was just like existing. You know, you're like, no, it's fine. God, do whatever you want. I'll do whatever I want. And it's just, you know, whatever. It's fine. At the end of that season, in retrospect, now talking to God about it, because obviously it ended eventually, but five years is a long time. And God said to me, you know, because one of the things I've always prayed for is to be able to contend for breakthrough on behalf of the next generation, right? So I'm passionate about young people who are able to live lives and sacrifice for a moment on behalf of a generation coming after them. That's the whole heart of campus ministry. It's like you, you, you endure what you need to now, not for yourself, not because God hates you, but because you have a perspective of what's coming. And you have a bigger picture. So you're like what Jesus did. He's like, I'm going to die on the cross because although this is the worst thing that could ever happen to me, it is the best thing that could ever happen to a generation coming after me. Right? And that's what I'm contending for. So then God said to me later, so I needed you to contend for that. But later, thank God he didn't tell me in the moment. He's like, no more contending. Don't care about the next generation. Can I get out of here? <laughs> right? Because if God gave us those options, we take them. But... That is the truth, right? Is that sometimes we're asking God for these big things and God wants to give them to us, right? Yeah. But there's a cost. Yeah. 
We can't run away from the fact that there is a cost. And so I'm always praying, Lord, let me stand in the gap for my family. What it is that is not made available to them because of my relationship with you, I'm going to stand. Because of like whatever I've seen in the past, Lord, I'm going to stand. Let my life echo a reality that will be different for the next generation. Lovely prayers, right? God's like, yes, Musa, I'm going to give you all those things. Won't you stand in this fire for five years for me? So that when you speak, your words will break the yoke. So that your life will release breakthrough for a generation coming after you. And now it's great to stand here now and say it, and it's doing that, but the cost is those difficult decisions every day of not compromising, of sitting in a place that you don't understand, of sitting with God without understanding what he's doing in this moment, feeling like you're being rejected, feeling like God might actually not consider you a daughter anymore, but sitting nonetheless. Because you believe that he who promised is faithful. So I don't know where we find ourselves in our seasons right now, but this may be for you. That perhaps this could be for a generation that will never know your name. And that, could, that your life could matter more than you realize. And that maybe you're not preaching and that maybe you're not screaming and shouting from the mountaintop, but that every decision that you're making in God, he honors. And that because of those decisions you're making in that place, he is unlocking things for a generation that's coming after you. And that at the end, you'd be able to say, you know, God, I didn't do X, Y, Z, but I did what you asked me to do. And that maybe that's just standing and being faithful until the end. And and honoring what God has promised you because you know he's promised, but you might not be seeing it right now. Doesn't mean he hasn't promised. So I'm going to conclude it so that we can pray into these things and contend together. And Carol is going to come and release some prophetic senses for what it is that we're contending for. And then let's contend together for what it is that we believe God has spoken to us corporately and individually. My dream, what I'm contending for you, is that you would have the same relationship with God as Jesus did. And that you would believe that that is actually possible. A lot of people, when, I'm, when we talk about these things, they're like, no, but that was Jesus. Yeah. What was Jesus here to do? Jesus was here to do what we are meant to do. Yeah. He came to show us how to be human. Yeah. So we can't say, no, but that was Jesus. No, but Jesus was coming to show us how to be human. Yeah. That is how our lives need to look. We can have the same relationship with God as Jesus did. In fact, that's what we are called to. Identity. We have the same position in God as Jesus did. Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, I have loved you. Not similar to, not like like resemblance. He says, as the Father has loved you. As the Father has given me authority, I have given you. As I have been sent, I send you. Authority, the same access and power in God as Jesus did. That's why we pray for the sick. Because that's what Jesus did. And just because we don't see it today doesn't mean we don't pray tomorrow. We're going to pray until we see it. And when we see some breakthrough, it encourages us to keep doing it. That's how we pray for mountains to move. I'm like, not there, but I'm like, I want to talk to a mountain and I actually want to see it move. I don't believe that that's metaphorical. I'm like, God, what do I need to do so that there must be no space? So that when the mountain experiences me, it experiences you. Sent, trusted to act on his behalf as Jesus did. Sent, that we can have God's documents, we can have God's credit cards, we can have God's personal documents. God, we can be God's executors. 
right? Because he knows who we are and he knows that we are sons and daughters. And wherever we are, we are executing on his behalf. Trusted to act on God's behalf. That's what it means to be sent. So as we think about the year, as we plan, as we set goals, as we go through difficult seasons and wish they would go away, reconsider. Reconsider wishing difficult things away. Not because we shouldn't pray, persevere, whatever. God's will is good. God's heart is good. God is not wishing suffering on us. God is not like a tyrant king. Ne? He's not like, oh, let's give you fire so that you can. No, he uses everything that happens, right, for his glory. But God doesn't initiate suffering. He doesn't initiate evil. He doesn't initiate bad things. Let's not hear the wrong thing about God. And that's how we pray for those things to go. Suffering must go. You know, illness must go. Poverty needs to go. So those things are not of God. But wherever we find ourselves, let's contend knowing who we are, knowing who God is, allowing him to bring through us his kingdom here on earth. Amen. This is who we are. And at the end, we can say, I have glorified you on earth by completing the work that you have asked me to do. Therefore, glorify me. Yes. Therefore, God, glorify me because I have glorified you. And then we together bring you glory. And all in all, we make space for grace. That's our default. We make space for grace. Where we can't, he can. Where we have a moment, it's fine. Get back up. Even if it's a long moment, it's still fine. Get back up. Because ultimately, the end is so much better than where we are right now. And keeping the big end, the perspective, that regardless how long the season is, there is hope. God is so much bigger, and he's on our side. God is on our side. God is on our side. Can we give the Lord a hand? Thank you, Musa. It was so, so great. <laughs>